This is Black Talk, where global black experts mix with local voices from the black community. Personal stories meet historical context, and black achievement is celebrated as we explore the realities of anti-black racism. We're pleased to have Olonike Adeli on the show today. Olonike graduated from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City, then began decorating her portfolio with numerous roles in large theater, television, and film productions. Her career includes appearances in the popular Canadian crime drama Flashpoint, horror film Saw 3D, and most recently, a lead role in The Porter on CBC and BET+. Here are your co-hosts, Andy Knight and Zach Panda, with our guest, Olonike Adeli. Joining us today is Canadian Screen Award nominee, Olunike Adeli. Oh, you got it. I love it. Have to. Very important. Yes. yes. I had someone ask me yesterday, they're like, you know, do you go by anything for short? And I was like, hmm. yeah, Olunike. Perfect. Short, long, however, you know, they're like, have you ever thought of changing it for the industry? Yeah, absolutely not. Like, I mm-hmm. never a thought it would be so disrespectful to my culture, to my family. And um, yeah, and I love it because, I mean, it's also a conversation piece, it's especially when I'm within the industry and meeting people. They take a moment to stop and hear the name and go, oh, and they're more interested. Right. And they also mm-hmm. want to know what the origin is and stuff. So I, I would never want to shorten anything or change my name because I'm lucky enough to have an original African name. Yeah, I love that answer and and you're you're totally right about that. You should should hold on to that name and and wear it proudly. Absolutely. Um, I'll move into uh into my first question here. So if we could just travel back to the beginning, Olonike, mm-hmm. uh could you speak a little bit about your early years um growing up as the daughter of Nigerian and Jamaican parents in Brampton, Ontario? And kind of what that was like. Well, I mean, I was born in Toronto and then very, very early on in my in my life, I was taken to Jamaica um, and I was raised with my grandparents while my mom like continued building her career here as a nurse in Canada. So my early like impressionable years are in the countrysides of Jamaica with my grandparents. Um, the best a child could have being in the outdoors and having amazing imagination and going to church and being a part of any performance that was happening at the church. And so it started very young. Of course, I'm having a family that consistently promotes education and spirituality um, and family. That's what my environment was all the way to growing up and even who I am today and how I am with my own kids. And so by the time I was back in Canada and going to the school in Brampton, I think it was around grade six 
um, a music teacher recognized that I was talented in dance, music, or and she asked me if I wanted to try out for the play. So that was around junior high. And I had no idea that you could even do something like that. And so I tried out. I have had one of the lead roles. Um, I was the artful dodger in Oliver Twist. And then another year, I was like the main role, the princess and princess in a dragon, because I just had a natural um, gravitation to the stage. And I think that's where the acting bug really kind of hit me is then and there, because I saw how I affected other people um, and they wanted more of me. And so I just continued to cultivate that. Now, I didn't actually think that I can go to university to do it because remember, I'm in a, in a Nigerian Jamaican home and there are limits. It's engineer, mm-hmm. um, medicine, law, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so beca- because of wanting your children to survive and also because Africans and, and Caribbeans are hugely involved in academics, you know, they are overcomers, right? Not just survivors. They, they strive and they strive for excellence. And so I started going to school for business marketing, but I hated every minute of it. And one day when I was starting to do a little background stuff on set, just to get some money, I was fortunate enough to meet Denzel Washington and he kind of coached me into deciding to go to school in New York. And that's how I ended up at theater school in New York is because of his advice and um, his encouragement. And so that's, that's my plight anyway. Now it wasn't easy because I still have parents that are asking me, why aren't you going to school? Why aren't you going to finish your degree? Why aren't you? And that's the reason why I'm in it now. (laughs) I'm in it now Mm -hmm. to get another degree in something that they feel that they could be proud of, but also something that helps me with the art, because I mean, I'm studying a lot of psychology and my majors, African studies. Um, I do uh, Caribbean studies and I also do equity studies. So this can only benefit the art form, make me more in depth with my character. So that's my brief, but not so brief journey of uh, my, uh, my upbringing. And I'm glad that you you took that time to follow your dream. And as we know, you know, school will always be there. Always. So it all worked out in the end. It did. When did you realize that you wanted to become an actor? When did you realize it was going to become a profession for you? Um, I think the switch came um, when I realized that I could do it as a career. Um, because I was always, you know, in and out, not knowing how I'm going to even be able to do that as um, a black woman as um, as a Canadian, the industry wasn't as welcoming or gave us opportunities as black people here in Canada, not like America, right? And so, it was always trying to navigate and and figure it out and actually get around self doubt that it could actually be done. But I would say that um, once I went to school in New York, once I was there and had that energy of New York and art and performance and how much it's celebrated and how much it is a communal event, all arts in New York, whether you are an artist or not, it's something that is uplifted by the community. I realized that I'm going to be okay and I can do this because at least my training was here and not just in school, but also just being there for five years, I was able to adapt uh, a certain personality, a certain rawness of, of New York and um, raising my daughter there too. And it was, we were road dogs, man. Like 
she was really young and I had to teach her just survival skills, how to travel the subways on her own and marry that subway to the back of your, you know, to to like the back of your hand and, and it being a second brain of how the trains run and what time, like when to call, what time to, um, to do things. I became a better parent. I became more confident as a person. All of the, the activities um, or the homework that we were given in school, it would be something simple as you had to go to Central Park and you had to find 50 shades of green because <laughs> no two greens are the same. Just like black people, we are not a monolith, right? No two are the same. So you learn how to fine tune details with your craft because that's one thing that Denzel had sent to me. He's like, do not worry about money worry about fine-tuning the craft so good that you're so good at it. Eventually they come. That money just starts to get into your pocket. You don't even know how it got there. You don't even know when it got there. It just starts to happen because what you have is so special because you're paying attention to a craft. And so New York raised me like that. Sometimes we had to sit on a subway from one end of the A train to the next and just watch the demographic of people coming in and out of the train to see how the status changes too. And we, or we had to um, pick a person that didn't know we were, we were watching them every day for like six to eight weeks, but somebody that was in our path and we had to watch them, to watch their mannerisms, to see how they, they take on the day. And, um, and then we bring it back to the classroom and we would have to reenact the person and they'd have to guess race, age, job, if they have a family. And it's all based in the body. And so I became a part of performers that paid attention to character behavior and what the body does, as opposed to what the mind does. The mind is, plays a part, but we're looking at what keeps you present and what the body does, because we believe as artists that the body is smarter than the brain. What an amazing answer. I was actually going to ask about, um, you know, your time spent at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and, and how that all went, but you've done such a good job already of giving us detail <laughs> about that. I was just wondering more specifically, if you could narrow it in, what was your experience there like as a Canadian Black woman, you know, someone from an underrepresented group at what was likely a predominantly white institution? What, what, what was that like? Um, you know, I, I, I really had a great time. I really had a great time. And I never really, like sometimes I would have it in my head that, oh, I'm a Black Canadian. But I mean, I've been raised more so that I was Jamaican Nigerian. Okay. There, I've, I've always found a tribe, no matter where I went, a tribe of people that were collaborative and proud and um, just really passionate about what they did. And so in the school immediately, some of the professors were black and some like a majority were white, but immediately all of them recognized my talent. Even when I didn't know to the full extent what it was. Even when we did plays, they would give me the most meaty things to play with because they knew that I could execute because I love doing the work. And so they recognized that natural talent and then built it into something that was skill, right? In my thesis play, they made me the lead. And that was the first time they had ever had a Black lead in their school. Isn't that insane? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, because they needed, like the professors came together and said that she has to be the lead of this play. We have to tell this story. Alice Childress is the first black woman to ever have her, her play off Broadway, like in New York. Right. So mm -hmm. the play that we did was 
wedding band, a love hate story told in black and white. And it was in 1918 during influenza and the black soldiers returning from, I believe it was World War I or whatnot, and how they were treated right? Coming back into America. And I was in a relationship with a white man, but we had to keep it really secret because at those times you would be jailed or killed. And here we are, me, I'm an accomplished woman in my own life because Mm -hmm. I'm a seamstress. So I do have a profession. I have a skill, but I have to keep hiding when someone finds out. And we, we have all these aspirations to try and run North. And so to give me something meaty like that, which one day I would really love to reproduce it again, like re- like redo it and be a producer and, and take on one of the, the roles that are um, older and then find a, a young ingenue, right, to play that role. But what that showed me is that my talents speak for themselves. I, have, I don't have to make any excuses for them. And that when I do my work, the stars just align because God has me. I really believe that God has me through and through. And so I don't, I don't make a fuss about not getting a role or anything like that because I know that mine are meant for me and they will pass me. And so the universe has, has designed my journey. And so every time that I do get something, I know that there's a lesson that I need to learn within what that is, that character, and to sort out all the nuances within that character. So it's always a learning experience for me as I go forward. And so it keeps me happy. I love the journey. And I mean, I'm in my 40s now and things are really starting to pop off. But this is exactly the way it was supposed to go. No matter how frustrated I got, sometimes I would just head off to Nigeria or head off to Jamaica and my family would just remind me who I am and what I'm meant to do in this world and how I'm meant to affect people. And I just let everything go. What comes will come. I love that answer. I just want to respond to that because when you, when you hear a question like that, people get into the connotation that, oh, you know, we're going to talk about the bad things that happen, but no, like if you had a great mm-hmm. experience there, we love to hear about that because that is, that is rare you yeah. know? and it is unfortunate, but it is rare to, to see that. But when we do see it, we love to celebrate it. And it's good to know that, you know, you had a great experience over there. Right. And, and you know what, it's not that it was devoid of all the prejudices that ha- that come with the job or come with being a black woman. Like it, it's not devoid of that. I just chose not to mm-hmm. focus on that because what other people are going through or how they see me has nothing to do with me. I was going to have my journey regardless, and I was going to be proud in the journey. And so that's, that's how I chose to, to continuously practice self-care and self-love for myself. How did you get your first big break in television? I would say Flashpoint because it was the first one that when I came, it's so crazy how this happened because when I came back from New York, I think that was just the ending of 2008, I got cast in a play by my friend, um, Bayo Akinfimi, who is also a director and one of the main actors on um, I Love Abishola on, I believe it's NBC or so. And so we met when I came to Canada because he's Canadian and he cast me in a play and I was the main character and I was four different characters. I was like morphing in and out. And I remember because I was taught by Felicia Richard um, briefly in New York too. And she's like, when you get to play a bunch of roles, consider yourself lucky because then now you're going to really stretch the instrument. So for like five to six months, we were touring, we were touring all the schools. And just in the end of that tour, they had brought out the audition for Flashpoint. And now Flashpoint was now in America as well, because at that time, the Writers Guild was on strike. So they had no material 
for um, Americans to watch, no new materials. So they had to start finding material in other countries, but Canada was right next there. So that's how America has gotten introduced to a lot of Canadian content. And so Flashpoint was looking for that character that was daring and an adrenaline junkie and, and just really tough at what she did. And she can hold her own with men. And I was like, that was me. And it like that, there was no, there was no doubt. I was like, oh, they're looking for me. And so when I went in, I had, I have a regimen of how I practice and what I do. And a lot of, a lot of my practice also involves a lot of just uh, physical, it's, it's very physical, a lot of working out, a lot of, um, whether it's push-ups or sit-ups, always in movement. It's always something in movement when I'm also preparing. And so the movement never stopped. Even in the waiting room, I would take a corner to myself and I would just focus. And at this point, no one really knew me because I was fresh back into the Canadian market, right? And so when I went in, they couldn't, they, they, they had no place to deny me of anything, especially when we did a scene and I had to be in a locker room and they were like, do you work out every day? And I go, no, but I stay in top form because I mean, I'm, I'm also now I'm playing a cop who used to be a firefighter. You know, she's in top form. That's why I said, oh, they're looking for me. And the rest is history. So since Flashpoint, everything has just been up and up and up. And of course, there's been some dips and whatever, but they haven't been low enough for me not to continue with that in this career. Yeah, that's, I was actually going to get into that. So, you know, ever since then, you know, you've had this successful career. Flashpoint is definitely one of those shows. It's, it's, it's such a popular show. And then also, you know, you were in Saw 3D as well. And most recently, and something that I'd like to spend a little bit of time on today is uh, The Porter. Um, for for our viewers that don't know, um, is a brand new, uh, historically significant uh, show that's going to be on CBC and BET Plus mm-hmm. uh, about the little known stories of the Black railway porters and their families mm-hmm. uh, that played an essential role in shaping Canadian race relations and human rights in the early 1920s there. And uh, on the show, you star as one of the lead roles, uh, Miss Queenie who I would probably describe after watching a couple episodes, we did get to see uh, the first two episodes, which were excellent. I, I will, I will just say, and, and she comes across as a strong resourceful black woman that oversees a large criminal empire from what I can see so far. My question to you is uh, what drew you to the show and to the role of Miss Queenie in particular? Um, well, um, Arnold Pinnock is one of the creators of the show, and him and I have known each other for quite some time, way before I moved to New York for school. When I had gotten back into Canada, we reconnected and he said he had something that he was working on. So because I mean, he's been working on it for about 11 years or so now. And so he said that he was working on something. But every few years that would go by when we would see each other, whether on set or like in another um, city, we would have just hours long conversation about um, this topic, about this content, about the porter. And he's like, there's a role there that I just, I don't see anybody else in. And I was even much younger at the time, but even then he knew, he knew that I was Queenie. And so as time went on and as my career built, I was always asking him, so what's going on? He's like, we're close, we're coming. And so when it came time for the auditions, of course, they had me come in and read for Queenie. And then I hadn't heard anything for a long time again, because I mean, these things take some time. But not knowing that Arnold, Charles, RT, like the creative team, they were going to bat for me, which was great. But what draws me to the role is that here's this Renaissance woman. She's in the the 
twenties and she's killing the game. She's on top of everything. She hails from the Caribbean, but like, you know, those are all little, little tidbits that I put in there that you'll see throughout the series of like, you don't you can't pinpoint where she actually is from, but like in my mind, because I mean, we took her from different, wonderful, just powerful women um, throughout time, but she's inspired by a specific person and that hails from the Caribbean. And when you, like I said, when you come from the Caribbean, there's a certain sense of pride. So you haven't gone through the similar situations as Black Americans, right? Because every every angle, people are just trying to stop Black empowerment. Um, we're in... In the Caribbean, they tend to be a lot more bold when it comes to taking over political positions or trying to advocate change at the cost of their life, right? Because we have people like Marcus Garvey or Nanny of the Maroons, right? And so that's that's her. Like, I made her lineage come from, like, the Dahomey tribe from, from Africa, where that's the all-female army that protected the king of Benin, right? And so... Those are all those little tidbits that I made a part of her backstory of why would she be so bold as a black female in the 1920s and that she never saw herself as less than. So that's a part of me that I had to bring to the part. But also she is deadly. She's extremely dangerous, but she's multidimensional because she's also a pillar in the black community because when the black community was not um, getting their human rights upheld. She's the one that um, allows Black people to thrive, helping them to buy properties, being the the bank of Black people, because at that time, Black people were allowed. It was illegal to have a bank account. So she became this force and helping immigrants because she too knows what it is to come into a new space and try to build. And so she's dangerous, but she's also um, an advocate for Black rights. That's awesome. (laughs) So uh, do you see this role ever on the page? It's hard to find a role like that. It's like, if you do, it comes, absolutely. you know, it comes, it's like a, uh, it's like a, it's like a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that the fact that, that I was the person that they thought of could, could pull this off and that was rightfully suited in this role. I, I was honored. I was honored. Well, Nika, this, this was a very important answer you just gave because, I was going to ask a question about whether or not there was anything about the character of Miss Queenie that you can personally relate to. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that um, not only can you relate to it, but you actually brought into that character some experiences that you had. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. Um, just the experiences of building something um, for myself, you know, entrepreneurship. And so See, I'm a mom. And even though she doesn't have children, she was a mother of the community, of the Black community. So you can start to align how the similarities and also the differences between the two. I'm not dangerous, (laughs) but Queenie definitely is. She doesn't play, and that's just how she had to build her empire. But I'm a go-getter, and I honestly don't see any reason for myself to be blocked from anything because I'm not prepared. I don't take answers from people. I don't take no from people who don't have the power to say yes. I don't hear it. I don't hear can't. I don't hear, I'm I'm an optimist. So I don't hear those things. And in fact, they feel me. They feel me so much so that I know 
Like I have a real belief, like a belief in myself. Cause if I don't believe in myself, no one else will. Right. And so I'm my number one fan. And that belief system is what I use to bring her to life of this is my world. This is my space. Um, don't invade it. And if you do, there's consequences. That's how I live my life. So yeah, there was a lot of elements of myself that I brought into her. And then, and then with other elements or other characteristics of her, I had to build it. How she speaks, her cadence. Uh, I had to learn the piano for the role. And um, I learned some French. I mean, I, I have a good um, understanding of the sounds and whatnot of French because of being in Canada. But like, you know, I wanted to transcribe some of her her words into French just to throw another wrench into where is she from? (laughs) Right. Because she is multidimensional. So So the development of that character basically was a collaboration then between the writers and producers and yourself. Absolutely. We had a dialect coach and, uh, you know, like everyone who decided to come in and create it and, you know, choosing an animal for the role. I love choosing animals because they have such wonderful, specific qualities to a character. And so she was a part of the cat family. So she's a panther, right? The way she moved was very calculated and and very slow of how she watched you to see what you were doing. And it was a lot of fun. The lead actor, Amel Amin, we had a we had a ball just trying to figure each other out. And you know, we knew that we both were intelligent people. Um, but he wants to be in my world and I'm very curious about his and who would be bold enough to come into my world and think that they can like operate within it, (laughs) you know? So it's intriguing. So he's not one I want to kill just yet. (laughs) So with that character, were you happy about the way that, that she was portrayed was, was everything good to go, good sailing, or was, was, were there any things that in, in the post, I know sometimes after the editing, things get, get changed around, Anything that you thought, hmm, this isn't this isn't what I thought about, or 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 what do you think about that? No, I don't tend to be in that headspace at all. Um, I know I put down my work, and then and then it's yours. It's not mine anymore. As, uh, because especially since the work that we were doing was fantastic, the collaborations were fantastic. The support and the respect of what we were doing was fantastic. So everybody wants the same thing. So I know we're not going to be portrayed in any light that we don't want to be portrayed in. Um, so I, I let it go because, I mean, very shortly after that, I had to get into another brain of another character and play Mike Tyson's mother. So I had and then flown out to America to go and do that. So once I'm done with the character, I move on until I have to return back to them. And I trust our creative team. I trust all the editors and everyone to get the best, the best version of Queenie that they could. Because they mean everyone character so much. They would never do her wrong anyway. That's so important that you say that. And that's so good to hear because you know, sometimes we see um within the acting world. The opposite, I, I believe, the fellow that uh, played um, Cyborg in uh, in the Justice League, you know, mm-hmm. such a different, such a different end product than what he knew he had acted going in, right? And and that created a huge controversy. So we're we're just so happy to hear that uh, that's not the case here. Yeah, we were a family, and we protected the content because we knew that it was a, a lot of great entertainment. But it, the sub, it's history. We had to get it right, right? Or at least we had to make it important enough for people to want to know um, that Canada is also made up with um, Black Canadians, that they are the, they are part of the fabric of Canada. And so 
it was it's sensitive stuff that we want to make sure that we we do our best to to bring that content out. Not to mention, I mean, when you're in a situation where it's an all black creative team and all black cast, like you know, the main cast is all black and the creative team, we have almost a lot to prove, right? And so they're not gonna they're not gonna drop the ball on that. Because here we are, we'd be able to represent ourselves and tell our story. We're going to tell it. No, absolutely. And then uh, just what would you say that um, viewers tuning in, they can expect to receive from the Porter in total? Yeah, well, they're going to receive a lot of great entertainment because it's entertaining from beginning to end. They're also going to receive a lot of historical content that they possibly never knew, Mm -hmm. right? I never knew about the Porters, and it's wonderful that I'm getting introduced to this part of Black Canadian history that didn't know about, and American history, right? And so they're going to be able to be entertained and learn. And yeah, it's filled with so much. Everything everything that's needed, the sex, violence, um, Black love. Um, you see so many versions of black love on screen and it's a really wonderful um, experience to have. And so I, I don't think we'll disappoint. I really just hope that everyone shows up and it comes out on family day. So what else are you doing? <laughs> Very true. What else are you doing? Everything is calculated with this thing. It's, it's, I hope that they learn so much about our black community, that they understand how much we are more alike than we are different and that our lives matter. No, what barriers uh, do you think that young Black actors, especially young Black women, uh, face both in front of the camera and behind the camera? And I say this in light of the fact that my daughter, I have a daughter who's probably roughly around the same age as your daughter, mm-hmm. um, but she is a movie producer. She is, uh, and she's doing it extremely well. Um, but she knows that there are some barriers that uh, Black women and women of color face even behind the camera. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are some of the barriers that you may face in front of the camera? In front of the camera, lighting is a major thing. (laughs) For some reason, um, some production teams don't understand how to light us. Um, So what they tend to do, they'd hire a lighter black skin person or just the closest to white because white, they understand how to light. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you cannot do that, you bring in the people that can, because I mean, Jordan, which is our DOP, he killed it. And we were in so many different lights. We were in bright lights or we were in the darkest of dark lights, but you can see us and you can hear us created a mood. And yeah, so those, those can be challenges. What could be challenging in front of the camera um, people not knowing your worth, the prejudging of, okay, this is just another, you know, black actor or whatnot. But I found that once I threw down what I created or what I prepared, the mood changed, right? So the challenge would be that, why do you need to prejudge my work? It's because you don't see me often, right? So you're prejudging if I'm even capable and then the moment they, I start to speak and do what I've got to do, the whole crew starts to do it. They start to align to make sure I'm comfortable <laughs> at all times. Like I show up the next day and everybody knows how to say my name. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting thing? <laughs> all of a sudden they're making the effort because it's like, oh, we got to, oh. And, and so it's, I always say, I mean, you're going to be met with challenges probably from beginning to end of this career. Um, it's getting better. But the only thing you can do is do your job well. Eventually, it affects people and it changes people's mind. 
But I would like for them to just give us the opportunity before judging that we can't do anything. That's so interesting to learn about that, um, the lighting aspect. Oh, yeah. It's not something that you would think about. So mm-hmm. I definitely learned something today. And, and that's, that's interesting. Andy, I think you, did you have one more there? Uh, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about awards because n- not only have you overcome things that were barriers to yourself, but you also became nominated, I think, for the Canadian Screen Award. Are there any other awards that you'd be nominated for or received during your acting career? And what is the one that's most memorable to you and why? I mean, first of all, accolades are not something I think about at all. <laughs> it's just really not. I think it gets in the way. I think it gets in the way of what you're supposed to do. Um, yeah, I've been nominated for a few. I think there was a Nigerian award. Um, there was the like, Black Canadian award that I had won one year. There was a Scream award in L.A. Um, for a film that I led called uh, She Never Died. And um, then there's a two, two different nominations for the CSAs, which was one was for Corner, I believe, the TV show Corner. And the other one was for a film called Boost. It's, it's always an honor. And I thank, thank um, the academies or whatnot for the recognition. But it's just something I find that it distracts. I don't attempt this career looking for accolades. I attempt it looking to change lives or to affect lives that they know they're not alone. We're all in this together. And because, I mean, you're so intimate, the, the people who watch you, the fans are really, they mean more than any accolade because they keep you going. They keep your career going. They keep the industry going. And so I'm, I tend to more focus on that. And if things come, they come. And I, I'm very grateful, but I keep it pushing. That's a great, I think that's a great attitude to have, I think, in, in any career, but especially in acting, because you're mm-hmm. so caught up. In, in the awards that sometimes you forget the actual work that's being done behind the scene. Oh, yeah. Even just recently, I mean, there's been so many Black people that have been nominated for the CSAs. I'm not nominated for anything, but there's nothing more wonderful than congratulating your fellow performers and your fellow creatives. Um, so I find more, I don't know, joy in doing that and elevating my fellow Black community members. It's just beautiful. I think that's a better way to celebrate our greatness. Wonderful. I agree as well. And I, I think this is a really important question. Mm-hmm. Our, our audience spans youth and, you know, older people. It, it's all over the spectrum, people within uh, academia, people outside, even around the world. And uh, you have a lot of people looking up to you when you're out there doing your thing. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is uh, what advice can you share with, you know, particularly the young Black men and women that are listening, but but everyone else as well that aspire to follow in your footsteps and uh, embark upon the journey of an acting career. What what would you want to tell them? First of all, I would. I'm an advocate of education. Get trained. Get trained in it because there are elements of the industry and elements of the craft that need skill. You can come in fresh, and that's beautiful too. There's a lot of actors that come in and they just have a natural a natural ability to act or portray a certain character, maybe because they feel close to it or whatnot, and or they have a raw talent. But if a skill is not developed, then when the rough times happen, you won't have anything to fall back on to be able to continue moving forward and creating character, right? So education is extremely important, whether acting schools or even studying on your own, whatnot, or just fine-tuning that craft. So I'm going to Say the same thing that Denzel said to me, fine tune your craft, 
because it's very important and everything else falls into place. Also, I would encourage that they would develop their own material, whether they're writing or directing or producing, you know, who better to tell our stories than us. And so take the ball into your um, own court and do it yourself. And don't wait on anybody to give you a handout of anything, but also play nice, right? Um, The third thing I would say is, which is probably the most important thing is believe in yourself yourself more than anybody could. You are your number one fan. Love you like Kanye loves Kanye. Very well said. Very well said. And oh my goodness, such a good, such, such, such interesting points and good ones as well. I think it's wonderful. I, I, this is a great way to end this, uh, this interview. I wish we could uh, continue. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want final thing, you know, I, I think, because we are dealing with young students mostly and people within the community who are black and it happens to be recorded during Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can say a few things that can inspire black people to, to not only develop their craft and to do the things that they want to do and so on, but how can we change uh, our society just in the way that Queenie helped to change Canada into, and help it to become a multicultural society? How can we push that envelope forward, especially in light of all the things that are happening right now in Canada? Learning about history. Learning about history is extremely important um, because if you don't know where you're coming from, you don't know where you're going. I found that what's always kept my confidence is that I've always been studying about history, especially Black history. It's, it's, It's empowered me in a way that allows me to take up space. It allows me to understand the the concepts of how we came about and um, who we were before colonization. It allows me to see this also to understand where we need to go in a sense of progression, right, in life. And so I I think if there's anything, anything that someone's got to do is know where we actually came from and don't let somebody write the narrative for you. Right. It, it don't depend on somebody else's story because the story, the story is usually written by the victor. Right. And so it's important that you go and study black playwrights, study um, black authors, black scholars um, in different parts of the world. Right. We have a vast amount of black people in Africa and the diaspora and all of them have their own different experiences and their own reflections. So just study the greats, study them. You study the greats and you become great yourself. That's how mastery is actually, actually happens. It empowers you in a way that allows you to stand up for a community worth standing up for. Instead of hoping that someone else is going to change your life, you're going to change your life. You change your life. Wonderful. What a wonderful way to end this conversation, Olenike. And I was so happy that you were able to join us. Yeah, no, what a, what an insightful conversation. I'm really happy that you're able to join us as well. We look forward to watching more episodes of The Porter as they come out. Just again, to remind everyone that's on CBC and BET+. Plus. So, oh, we got, we got a lot to look forward to. Thank you so much, Olenike. <laughs> Thank you. That was Black Talk. Special thanks to our show sponsor, KIAS, the Cool Institute for Advanced Studies at the University of Alberta. Find out more at kias.ualberta.ca. Our show was co-hosted by Andy Knight and Zach Penda. Our show producer is Katrina Ingram. Technical production by Tom Merklinger. 
Madame Nicola Barito. Our theme music is Attitude by Wendy Lewis and Dyson Knight. Graphic design by Anna Chakravorty. A huge thanks to our expert guests. This podcast was produced at the University of Alberta, located on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional homeland of First Nations and Métis people. Find out more about Black Talk at blacktalk.ca. Oh.